Welcome back to Honestly Well with Marissa Fay. I am a functional nutritionist and your guide to honest, authentic, and real information about what it means to be well and to take care of your own well-being. So today I have a little bit of a combo. It's a pep talk and a little bit of a of a conversation around a topic that I know is a hot button topic. And so just from the top here, I want to give a trigger warning. Um, we will be touching a little bit on eating disorders and disordered eating or disordered eating thoughts. So if that is something that you avoid hearing about because of where you are in your journey or even just personal preference, I just invite you to skip today's episode. Um, but I will say as somebody who has had a history um, around body dysmorphia and around some disordered eating habits that I find this type of conversation to be helpful for me personally. I know in my own journey, um, it helped me to really shift perspective. And part of that has to do with, um, you know, the way that we eat and the way that we think about food is habit forming, right? And so we have this saying um, by we, (laughs) I guess I mean the general health community. And and of course, this is supported in the research and in particular brain science and neurology, which is um, neurons that fire together, wire together. And what that means essentially is that um, once we form pathways in our brain, it's going to be the preferred pathway that um, our thoughts take because it's already there, right? It takes effort to form new pathways. And I think that's part of why habit change can be so challenging for all of us. It's also part of why I don't really buy into the whole like just 21 days, just 30 days, just however long, um, you know, people try to convince us that it takes to change a habit because I think there are a lot of factors that go into change a habit. And for each of us, there are different habits we might change that might feel easier or more challenging. For example, a really common habit I work with clients on is sleep schedules, right? And so for some of us, it may not be a big deal to turn back the clock and go to bed half an hour earlier. But for others of us, like those who maybe have people in their household that they're taking care of and, you know, that hour after they go to bed is their only time to themselves, then cutting a half an hour off of that feels like a big loss, feels like a big challenge, right? And so that's why we can't really compare ourselves to other people. Now, I will say in the discussion of um, disordered eating and disordered eating thoughts, first of all, I am not a psychologist, right? Um, I am not a doctor. I'm not diagnosing or treating or prescribing anything. Really, I'm just here today to share my personal experience and what I've observed in working with my own clients. And of course, in you know self-educating and reading a lot about this and digging into some of the research and in just being a generally curious and inquisitive person. That's really something that I strongly identify as, um, both in my business and the work that I do, but also just as an individual and a human being. So um, when we look at things like how we perceive and look at food, um, you know, that 
whole mentality and those habits really form when we're young people. Um, and this is why I am really passionate about educating parents and families um, and caregivers around how we form healthy habits in our children and our adolescents and youth. And there's some data to suggest that, um, you know, habits and the way that we view food really takes place around those preteen and early teenage years. Things kind of solidify there. So depending on our influences before and during that in that and during that age range um, really can make future habit change around food um, and how we view food and, and how we partake in food harder or easier later in life. And I think this is part of why, you know, I notice some of my clients when I do major shifts with them on their diet because we're doing it therapeutically, by the way. I don't just believe in making dietary changes just for funsies. Um, but I noticed some of my clients, it's easy peasy. Like they're totally good with it, super breezy, right? Um, they come back to the next visit. They say they're feeling great. Everything stays on track in that way. And then I notice there are other clients where we really have to work through. And we really have to take it slow. And we have to confront the mindset part of this just as much as we're confronting the literal what's going on the plate and in the mouth part of it. And so you might identify with one of those. You also might identify as something else. But you know, in this mindset scope, which is really what I want to talk about today is how reframing the relationship and the way that you think about food can be or may be super supportive to you, right? And so we'll just use like a case study of, you know, half of my clients really who literally I'm telling you in, in a consult will say to me, I, I don't feel well, they'll list a bunch of symptoms and things that are going wrong or they feel are going wrong in their body. And then they'll say, but I'm not willing to change X, Y, or Z, or I'm not willing to never eat, insert favorite food, chocolate cake ever again, right? And so I think part of it is because in forming relationship around food, we've really culturally come to see food as a lot more than just nourishment, right? Than just um, something that we need to eat for survival, but also something that delivers certain nutrients and vitamins and things that our bodies need to function, right? We view food um, culturally as, you know, something for celebration, as something for gathering, as something for when we have a great day, when we have a shitty day, right? Like. Um, bribery. Who hasn't done that with a with a younger person in their life? Um, so we use food in a lot of ways that are not um, kind of its primary true, right, purpose. Um, and when I say true purpose, that's not a judgment, right? But if we look back at our ancestors and we even look at, you know, other countries that may have different access to things and, um, and types of ingredients, you know, food is, um, is perhaps more so that really just, we need it to live. And I'm thinking in particular about some, um, some countries that maybe the income looks really different and every day they eat rice and beans and, um, that's what they can afford. And that's what life looks like. And, 
maybe some days they're craving it and it sounds really good and maybe other days not so much, but, um, but they need it, right. They need it to survive. And so, um, I think in, you know, our society and our culture, at least here in the United States, not everyone, of course, because we definitely have, you know, food security issues and, um, and access issues. But I do think a good portion of our, of our population and our communities do use food in these other ways. And I'm not passing judgment on that. I want to be really clear. I think, um, there's a lovely tradition in the sentiment of bringing together a group of people to, you know, <laughs> symbolically break bread. It's a really, it's a lovely way to bring together different kinds of people and to find common ground in something that we all need and we all do, right? But what I will say is that it changes how we look at food and for better or worse, that impacts how some of us engage with food and with our food habits. And so something that was a game changer for me and that I really encourage my clients to do is to start reframing, you know, how they view food and how they view their food choices. Because if we can ultimately get someone to a place where food is seen more so as a tool of nourishment and more so as a way to give back to yourself. Um, and I really use the word self-love, right? And by the way, when you view food as self-love, it doesn't mean you're never having the chocolate cake. I want to be really clear about that. <laughs> um, but what it might mean is that the vast majority of the time, right, you're thinking a little bit more about how the food will fuel your body first and foremost, how the food will fuel your mind. And then of course, how it's going to fuel your spirit. And I mean that in a completely non-religious way. Um, but what I do mean about that is, you know, sometimes we eat the chocolate cake because it's a moment in life where that really feels like a part of the experience and, you know, the enjoyment in life. And I give the example of my mom lived lives in Chicago and she is a frozen yogurt fiend. She loves frozen yogurt. I remember when the self-serve frozen yogurt places, you know, started cropping up maybe about, oh, was that 10 years ago, something like that. And she just, it was like every day was a gift that she could go <laughs> to a self-serve frozen yogurt place. Um, but I know for me personally that that type of dairy just doesn't serve my body. It doesn't say to my body on a regular basis if I eat it, like, hey, I love you. I care about you. I want you to feel nourished. And I want to do things that I know are going to um, be positive for you today and next week and next year, right? And that's really that habit piece. So it's knowing my body, knowing that the habit of including, you know, that type of dairy that includes sugar, that's conventional dairy um, on a regular basis. So every day is just not um, congruent with my body and how I can show my body that I'm listening and that I care. But, you know, I visit my mom twice a year, maybe three times a year. And it's something that she really loves. It also tastes freaking good, y'all. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm human and I can admit that that is a part of the experience of food is that 
you know, again, for better or worse, that we see food as more than just literally nourishment of the body um, and calories to keep us alive. We really do see it as these other these other things and it's layered and nuanced. And so for me, when I go visit my mom, damn straight, we go to the self-serve frozen yogurt place and I load up and I enjoy every bite of that. Now I do certain things to ensure that the impact on my body is um, as minimal as possible. I also have for myself some hard rules around things that I will or won't um, allow in my body because of how it makes me feel. Um, and part of working with me is that we figure out what those rules are for your body. Um, because more than anything, I want you to know that you, you are the expert in your body. And sometimes the signals are crossed and you're not quite sure how to listen, or you've never been taught how to listen, which I really, gosh, wish that were a part of our education system, um, and even our healthcare system. But part of what I do in, in working with you is let's figure out how your body communicates and let's figure out how, you know, when your body says that's okay, or a little bit's okay, or not so much, right. <laughs> or a little bit less, or mm, we probably shouldn't enjoy this even on a semi-regular basis. This is a very occasional once in a while, okay? But I enjoy that frozen yogurt is the point. It's not part of my regular everyday routine, but guess what? It's it's feeding my spirit in that moment. It's nourishing my spirit. It's something I do with my mom. It's special. It's tasty, right? Like there's some tradition to it. So there's still space in your life for things like that when you start to shift your relationship with food to one of seeing it as a vehicle for self-love. And part of viewing food that way is that you have to become a little bit more educated about it, about where it comes from, about how it affects bodies, about how it affects your body right? Because there are a lot of food rules out there and I think they can really F us up. Um, like I'm just thinking about when I was younger and it was the low fat craze. Do you remember those snack well cookies? I just remember my mom would always have those on hand and even thinking about them now, I can kind of like feel the texture in my mouth. There was always something kind of off about those. And they were like low fat and had, you know, all kinds of synthetic sugars and stuff like that. And then, but anyways, that's an example of a rule that was a crap rule, to be honest, but um, one that was swayed by different special interest groups who basically paid for research saying that that was healthier for people. And so this is where learning the language of your body becomes important because your body is going to tell you what it needs when you start to listen. And, you know, another example of that is I know a lot of people are crazed about super high fat diets. So there's the keto diet and there's even the paleo diet, which can be really high in fats. You know, we would say maybe healthy fats because they're not processed and they're whole foods based and um, they're ones we know that can help reduce some people's inflammation. And I will tell you that a truism I have found for some of my clients is depending on their physiology, depending on what's going on with their health, that type of diet is not supportive for them. 
and a diet that has more vegetables and fruits and gluten-free grains actually makes them feel a lot better. So this is where we have to start to learn to separate from broad strokes rules and get curious about you as an individual. And as you find that you're able to navigate and figure out more so what agrees with your body, then even more this whole food can be self-love piece comes into the picture. And so along those lines, how do we get to that place of starting to see food as self-love, as, as an act of giving back to yourself and caring for yourself? And I really think the first step is slowly and gently starting to reframe those thoughts that you have around food and, and the way that you say things to yourself. So I think about, for example, even at the start of my journey many years ago when I started paying more attention instead of to the diet rules and more attention to my body and what it needed is around, you know, going to restaurants with friends and them wanting to share an appetizer and me saying, oh, I can't have, insert buffalo wings, right? I can't have buffalo wings. And then giving all the reasons, well, they're covered in gluten and then they're fried and blah, blah, blah. But I can't have that. Or, you know, there's a rule that somebody told me I shouldn't have that, something like that. And like feeling really bummed, right? That I couldn't be a part of this shared experience with my people. And so in order to get from that place to the place of ultimately like where I am now and where I work on getting my clients to is no thank you, first of all, is a perfectly great response. You do not have to ever, ever, ever explain your health choices to anyone. They want you to really hear that. Like you do not owe anyone that explanation. Truly. So if somebody offers you something that's not in alignment for you or not something you want to be eating or not something that you feel serves your body, a no thank you goes a long way. Okay. And that keeps a barrier for you. And, and by the way, there's part of this that's like a mental fatigue, right? Like think about all of the energy that it takes if every time someone wants to share an appetizer with you or wants to offer you something that's not, you know, in your personal plan or your personal approach to food and nourishment, if you're giving everybody the I can't have that and here's why explanation, you got to stop doing that. Okay. Um, and by the way, if there's someone who loves you and they're like, but why after you say the no thank you, the next follow-up response is, because I'm making choices that are in alignment with what my body tells me it, it needs. And that's not something it needs. Next, right? Like next, um, make it quick and succinct and brief. And I like to say there's a difference between a conversation that's opening a door and a, and a conversation that's closing the door and the same thing for a response. So you wanna give a response that's absolute, that shows you're comfortable with your choice, where you are, who you are, and that closes the door. That's not an invitation. And by the way, if it is a conversation you want to have, I recommend not having it around food. So for example, say a family member asks you why in a moment like that, and you say, it's just not something that serves my body. But if it's something you want to learn more about, I'd be glad to chat about it later or 
tomorrow or, you know, choose a time where you're not going to be around food because what happens is people can feel really judged or they can feel like um, their opinion is really important or the opinion that they have from some doctor or some authority that they think is more meaningful than the authority of you knowing your own freaking body becomes more important. That's not a conversation that you should be engaging in, right? Because it's it's about them and, and an issue they have, not you, which it can feel really threatening, by the way, to view food this way to other people because of their own relationship with food. Um, and their bodies. And so that's just something to be aware of. But how do we get there, right? How do we go from, no, I can't have that because of X, Y, Z and feeling really down about that or feeling really excluded about that to, no, thank you. Or to, this is how I show my body. I love it. I make choices that make me feel good, right? And so how we get there is these slow shifts in what we're saying. And and I think even more so, by the way, it's things that we're saying quietly when no one is listening, right? It's the things we're saying when that afternoon slump hits and all you want is, you know, a bar of chocolate. <laughs> and you know that for you in that moment, it's not a choice that serves you. And that doesn't mean that there aren't times in your life where some chocolate might not serve you, right? But it does mean that what you've tuned into is that when you have the afternoon slump, your body really needs more vibrant nourishment, right? Your body's asking for um, an energy boost, which a lot of us associate with carbs. And so you figure out how can I give my body some carbs in this moment that are going to give me a little bit more vitality? And also how do I build that plate to support my energy and not give me a crash, right? And we'll talk more about building a plate maybe in the next episode because I think that's really important, building a building a plate that supports energy um, and really mental clarity and, and physical health as well. So along those lines, instead of choosing, you know, to have a chocolate bar at that slump, you might choose to have an apple and some almond butter, or you might even choose to have like half a serving of what you had for lunch yesterday, right? Like food is nourishment. And so all these rules about what we eat at certain times of the day, like the association of breakfast food with sweet, for example, that's actually like advertising. It's, it's really, there's no rule, right? But breakfast has to be sweet or for that matter, that dinner has to be super savory, right? So when you can start to tune in and in those moments where your initial instinct is really a craving talking or an emotion talking, right? The first thing we say is, hey, body, thanks for that information. And then you ask yourself, how can I love on myself in this moment? What's, what's the loving choice here? And if the answer is, I, I need to eat something, that's a loving choice, then starting to think about, well, what kind of food in this moment is going to nourish me? And then shifting away from that I can't to I get to and I choose to 
right? If we're lucky enough to have access to healthy food and fresh food, it's I get to have healthy, fresh food that can nourish my body. I choose to eat food that will give me energy and make me feel well. I choose to eat food that delivers nourishment to my body. I choose to prioritize that most of the food I eat is going to contribute to my health and well-being. Right. And so the first shift I recommend my clients make is this I get to or I choose type statement. And so see which one resonates with you. Like try them on truly in those moments. And they can be in those quiet moments when you're all alone. And they can also be in those moments where you're at a restaurant with friends and, you know, well, why can't you have this? Or do you want to have this with us? And in that moment, it's a, you know, I choose to eat foods that agree with my body because I know they nourish me, right? And this isn't one of those. Or, like I said before, no thank you. So my challenge to you after listening to this is simply that, is the next time you find your mind or frankly, the words that you say limiting yourself, right? Saying, I can't or I shouldn't, is how can you change it to something that's not even just a negative phrase, right? So not something that has the word not in it, frankly, I, I cannot or I should not. And instead making it, making it a positive phrase, I choose to, I get to, I want to even. So shifting it to that and then inviting in this notion and this idea that the food you eat can be an act of self-love truly can be a way a vehicle that you show your body that you care and that you're listening and in all of that we just have to acknowledge our privilege that that is even a conversation we can have with ourselves and in this and in this podcast frankly and for me in conversation with my clients because there are people who do not have that opportunity right there I choose is I choose to eat, right? Because that is really the only choice that they can be making. But if you have access to foods that can support, you know, your health and your nourishment even more, like fresh foods, then really like appreciation for that first and foremost. And second of all, tilting on its head this idea that food is all these other things besides nourishment and in a way getting back to super basics how can you see this food as something that will nourish you and even asking that question is this something that will nourish me right now that will give my body something that it really really needs not give a feeling something that it needs and over time, that can really start to shift the relationship that you have with food. 
So with that said, I'm going to close it out here today, but I would love to get your questions and your comments on this topic. I know that it's a complicated one. So even trying to squeeze this into half an hour feels rushed, but I just wanted to drop a little pearl there for you, a little something to consider. Um, You can find me on Instagram at Marissa, M-A-R-I-S-A underscore Faye, F-A-Y-E. You can also find me on Facebook, Marissa Faye Nutritionist, or you can book a free consult with me at www.marissafay.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I'd also love to have you drop into the next episode and answer any questions that you have along the way. Be well.